Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Vince. And I'm Ashley. And we are the lead pastors of the Outlet Community Church. And wherever you are in the world, our heart is to add value to your life. That's right. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's a topic in the Bible, whether it's a life skill that you're looking to develop and hone in on, allow us to be an outlet for you. Yes, and our prayer is that wherever you are, whether you're right here in service or you're out in the world in the nation, listen, our prayer is that God meets you right where you are. We all have needs, we all have things, but our God is able and he's able to bless you and get you where you need to be. We have hundreds of hours of digital content that is available for you to consume yes. free of charge. Freely we receive, freely we want to give <laughs> it back to you. So make it a point to check out our page, check out our website at the yeah. Outlet Community. Dot com and you'll be able to find countless hours of videos, podcasts, and other material to help you grow in your walk with God. Hey, if you like some of the content, like, subscribe, share it, and we'd love that. <laughs> See your family and friends. So open up your heart and get ready to receive all that God has for you. chapter 1. We will begin a four-part series on today uh, because on the fifth Sunday, which will be online, um, I'm going to share a special message regarding what to expect in 2024. And so in light of the Christmas season, in light of the first Sunday of Advent, we are going to start a series called Silent Nights. Silent nights. And it's ultimately tracing throughout Scripture God's plan boldly declared in the midst of silence. Now, when it comes to Advent, it has Latin roots meaning coming. And Christians of earlier generations spoke of the Advent of the Lord and of His second Advent or His second coming. But during this season, we are to be reminded of God's faithfulness through the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. What are the themes that we are to be reminded of? Hope, peace, joy, and love. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 is what we'll look at on today. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations. Someone say and type in 14 generations. 14 generations from Abraham to David. And 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile. Somebody say 14 generations. And 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. I don't know about you all, but if I heard a promise from the Lord that he was going to deliver something great in my life, 
Every so often, I believe that promise is going to come relatively soon. (laughs) But can you imagine the greatest promise that could have ever had taken place? Taking as long as it did to come into fruition. Sometimes, the progression of time causes us to doubt the power of God's promise. But what I want to examine today is that even throughout the balance of time and even throughout the progression of time, God was always working to bring to pass his very promise in the earth. And today's message, we're going to simply talk about is moving in silence, moving in silence. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are true to your word. You are faithful to your word. Help us in this season, in our lives, where there may be places and there may be areas where we feel as though you're slack concerning what you've said to us, slack concerning what it is that we have been believing you for. May our hope be reignited. May our hope be set on Jesus Christ. May our hope be set on your character. But ultimately, help us to see you, Lord, even when it's quiet, even when it seems like things aren't moving as fast as they should. Help us to see you every step of the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray and say and type in, amen, amen. In Hidden Christmas by Timothy Keller, he says, It seems at times that God may have seemed to have forgotten about his plan. But right now, in this very moment, he is in the process of arranging all that will fulfill his great promises. So if there's any person under the sound of my voice today who feels like God has seemed to have forgotten about little old me. If he's given you a word, if he's given you a promise, if there's ever been a ray of hope in your heart, God is true concerning everything that he said. But what we have to learn is how to get comfortable when it's quiet. And that's tough, because I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand or put in the comments on how many of you sleep with the television on. How many of you, when you're working, you have to have something playing in the background? I'm not going to ask us how many of us intentionally sit for a minimum of five minutes with absolute silence. There is something about silence that scares us. And there's something about silence that we don't want to embrace. But it's in the silence that God makes his best movement in our heart and in our lives. One of the keys to effective prayer is learning that after you pray, sit in silence for him to speak. 
Often we have a list of, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. God, I want you to do this. God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, next thing. But what if we said, God, I'm not coming to you with my agenda. I'm not coming to you with my list. I am going to sit here and let you speak to me. And sometimes you hear in that moment absolutely nothing, and that's exactly what you need to hear. So God has been moving in silence. The reason I went to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, to show you all the distance and the time that took place from the initial promise that he gave to Abraham to the actual birth of the Messiah is because there are sections of history that are significant. And today I'm going to teach a message that I've never taught before on a period in between Old Testament history and the start of New Testament Gospels. The unique thing about teaching on the end of Old Testament history and the start of New Testament Gospels is that there are no specific scriptures that talk about this 400 years in between the last recorded writing of the Old Testament and the first recorded writing of the New Testament. So in these 400 years, most circles call these the 400 silent years. Can you imagine? You have been going to church, you have been going to the temple, you have been reading Hebrew writings, and all of a sudden, silence. And at the same time, you know that there is something else that needs to be fulfilled. What place does that put you in? If you go back to Malachi chapter 4, and I'm going to take you there to the last recorded writing. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So now let's go to the very first verse of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, And this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And so in between those two verses, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, there were 400 years with no recorded written prophecies or canonized scriptures. Malachi ends with God's promise that he will send Elijah. The New Testament period begins, however, with John the Baptist. So let's see what all this means and how this all comes together. So if you go to Matthew chapter, or two places, Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. And before we read Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, what we're reading, or what we will see in Matthew 11, 13, and 14, is Jesus giving us further explanation on Malachi 4 and 5, and he quotes Malachi 3 and 1. So let's put Malachi 3 and 1 up first. And it says, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
So let's pick up now in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. Just laying a foundation for you all this morning. So Jesus now is speaking. He says, for before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. Verse 14, this is Jesus still speaking. He says, and if you are willing to accept what I say, he, being John the Baptist, is the Elijah that was mentioned in Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6, the one the prophets said would come. So Jesus now is bringing clarity to prophecy. Jesus now is bringing clarity to what was to be fulfilled from the last Old Testament writing. What Jesus was saying to the people is that the promises of God They are sure to come to pass, even when it seems like it's taking a long time for them to happen. And the more time goes by, the more we're tempted to lose hope. The more we're tempted to give up. The more we're tempted to begin to question, is what God said to me true? And in this season of Advent, it starts with us focusing on hope. And one thing we have to learn about biblical hope is that biblical hope relies on God's character as a basis for trusting that the future will be better than the present. So your hope has to be rooted that you have not seen your best days yet. I know that you've had good days. I know that you've had some success. But as long as there is still breath in your body, the hope that lies within you is that there is still greater that God desires to show you. If all of your good days have come and gone, then there's no point of God waking you up this morning and bringing you to church or to listen or to hit play on this podcast But he wants us to always realize is that every day, and this is how our mind has to wake up, and our mind has to be set, that I don't care what's going on around, there is still greater that is still before me. And the more we get to know God's character, the more hope that we can have. And so I gave you that foundation because I want to take a look now at what is called in theological circles intertestamental history. Intertestamental history. So what happened between the two testaments that was not recorded in Scripture but needed to take place so that Scripture could be fulfilled? The end of the Hebrew Bible, which is the one that Jesus would have been familiar with, did not end with Malachi. And so the Hebrew Bible actually ended with Chronicles. And so in 2 Chronicles 36 and 22 and 23, it says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout the kingdom. Verse 23, This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
any of you who are his people may go there for this task. And may the Lord your God be with you. And so I'm giving you all of this foundation and all of these texts because y'all know I am building something right now. I want you to understand that behind the scenes of the word that was going forth, there were certain elements within society that had to be in place so that the gospel could have free reign to be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Now, for me, one of the toughest messages to teach every year, there, there, there are two seasons that are absolutely tough as a pastor to teach. The first one is Easter. Why? Because you know what's going to happen. You know where my clothes is going to be at the end of the sermon. You know he got up. You know that. You know he got up. So every year as a pastor, pastors across the earth, we are trying to figure out how to present that he got up in a way that you would say, huh, I hadn't heard that before. Same thing with Christmas. Christmas is number two. There's actually more to, to do around Christmas. Christmas, you know, the typical story. We're going to have a Christmas message. Jesus came over the virgin birth in Bethlehem, in a manger. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let us go home. But I'm a little different. I like to find out what's going on behind the scenes. If you, if you came, you know, to my house and you pulled up my Netflix, you will find that my most watched types of films are documentaries. I like to know what did it take to make what I've seen and what I've enjoyed. I wanna, I want, I'm that nerd that likes to know how things work together. That's me. Any, any other nerds here that we can unite right now? Nerds unite. Awesome. Awesome. And so this morning, as we're starting this new series on Silent Nights, what, what piqued my interest was, Lord, what happened in all of that time that it took for Jesus to come and be manifested on the earth? And what I discovered is that God often gives us a promise, but the earth has to have a capacity to facilitate what he's promised. So whenever God gives you a promise, and this is something that we can learn personally, whenever God gives you a word, you have to then prepare to facilitate what he's given you. Otherwise, you would waste God's grace. So the earth was not yet ready at the end of Old Testament writing for the Son of God to be born because Jesus was on this earth for 33 years. He had a very short window. And what we often have to realize is that time for humans and time for God are two totally separate measurements. God lives outside of time into eternity. I believe in 2 Peter 3 and 8, it says, A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And so for a thousand years, an entire millennium to go by, it's just like one day with the Lord. For us, having slow internet is an eternity. Having to wait the full three days for a package 
is eternity. We have built our society off of convenience. We were happy when Amazon first came out and we could get our package in two days. And then Amazon messed around and created one-day shipments. Now Amazon's like, when you need it, I'm going to fly it right to your house right now. As humans, we are impatient and we want God to do all of his work in one moment and not let things take time to develop. And it's in the silence and in the waiting that we get dejected and move further away from what God has called us to do. The real definition of patience is your ability to approach the task with the same faith and same effort as you did when you first started. If you lose the fervor, you lose the zeal, you're not in faith. But true faith, if you're really believing, I want to challenge everyone in here. If there's something that you're believing for, I want you to look inward and see, am I approaching it with the same fervor I did when I first started believing? And if you're not, you're not in faith. That's huge right there. Because if I'm not approaching it with the same fervor and I'm not in faith, then can I blame God for not doing his part when I'm not even operating in faith that causes things to come to pass. So in this intertestament history, in order to have a full understanding of the New Testament, the new covenant that we're in, one must first have a working knowledge of Israel's closing years, closing kingdom years, the 70 years of Babylonian exile, the post-captivity area, and the period between the Testaments. All of these things comprise of what we now have within our new covenant. And so good news, I'm going to talk about in depth all four of these things in the next. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. But this gives you an understanding now in our Bible. That the Word of God is not simply linear, flat. The Word of God is rich. There's a context that belongs to it. There's a deeper understanding of this Christmas season that we're in. That it's more than, than just the presence. And it's more than just going and checking out lighting displays and decorating a tree. But it truly is about God who made a promise in the garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and 15, stayed true to his word thousands of years later. And if God could stay true to his word for thousands of years, then the reason why we have hope is that God can stay true to his word concerning the expanse of our days. And that is the basis of our hope. 
And so between the prediction of Elijah's coming in Malachi 4 and 5, which we now know is John the Baptist, and then the angelic announcement of the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 and 20, we see that God was preparing the world for the coming or the advent of his son. What we call silence in scriptures and in theological circles, we have come to realize that God was setting the cultural and historical table for his son. And this, this term that has been coined is prophetic silence. In our lives, we have to get comfortable with prophetic silence, where God has given us a word and we get to a point in walking out that word where it feels like, God, I don't hear you. I don't know where you are. Are you talking to me? Are you listening? Is this telephone working? But when God is silent in your life, He's working behind the scenes, arranging all of the necessary pieces for the word to come to pass. So silence is about heart preparation. We have to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our life. Many of what God shares with you is about Character development. The more that God begins to take you by the hand, the more that God begins to lead you further, what he's ultimately leading you on is a journey to be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. If you're really following God, your life, your decisions, your behaviors will reflect more of his love. And in the silence, He's often pruning away behaviors and self-coping mechanisms that tend to destroy your ability to stay where he's called you to be. God is moving in the silence. But we have to become intentional with listening in the silence. In our church calendar right now, we are closing out one year, and we're entering into a new year. And the purpose of this series, Silent Nights, is to begin to get you thinking about what type of year do you want to have in 2024? Where do you really want to go in 2024? What are you willing to let go of that has been holding you back this year to embrace what God wants to do and bring into your life? Often we want God to give us more, but we haven't created space for him to do more. To have some fun and to pick it myself, um, I like comfortable clothes. This is, you know, I don't know if it's a part of growing into being a dad, but jumpsuits, sweatsuits, 
that's all I want to wear. If I could, that's all I wear on Sunday mornings, but then y'all would have questions. I just want to wear comfortable clothes, and I have been collecting comfortable clothes now for some time, and it's picked up in the last two years. Over Black Friday, I found the deal of a lifetime for a line of just comfortable clothes. And my wife made a deal with me. She said I could get them if I had space for them. So she took me home to my comfortable clothes drawer. And she said that if you could open the drawer and shut it without having to shove it, you could get that whole new line that's on sale. But when I could not open the drawer without having to pull it, and when I could not close it without having to shut it, and I was unwilling to part with any of it, It prevented me from getting what's new because I was holding what was old and sentimental. (laughs) When you're quiet, God is going to ask you to part with what's old and what's sentimental, but it's stopping you from experiencing what is new and what is fresh. And it's what is part of his plan. And understanding that often when you're praying for God to perform his word in your life, it also means you're praying for him to cut away things that are not benefiting you toward his ultimate goal for your life. But often we stop praying because sometimes we enjoy the comfortability of what's familiar, but don't realize that it's at the expense of where we're going. And so when God is quiet, we need to get quiet. I'm so blessed to have what I would consider the best core team and the best staff in all of the world. I will put our core team, I will put our groups, I will put our committees up against any church anywhere in the world. We are blessed. There is a majority of things that on Sundays at this point I do not have to do. But there is one thing that I cannot delegate, and that is hearing from the Lord about what's next and standing up here and preaching the Word and guiding the people forward. So what that causes me to do at the end of the year is I get quiet and I stop talking, stop having conversations, because I need to hear specifically, God, what are you trying and what are you wanting for us to do next? You may not realize, and I'm starting to see it, But the more in demand you are, the more you intentionally have to program time to not do anything. In a given week, I can have meetings 
that start Monday at 9 a.m. and won't finish meetings until Friday at 5 p.m. I'm going to take a day off because I'm not going to have my son talking about my dad was never there. He ain't want to. No, I ain't paying for that bill. No. The question is, then who is going to study for the people? And often, doing nothing feels lazy. But when you're intentional about silence, that's hard work. And so I want to invite you all in this season to begin thinking because I'm going to ask you at the top of next year to show up, to be accounted for. I'm going to ask you all, because God has called all of us to show up in our study of his word. God has asked all of us to show up in our service to our fellow brothers and sisters. And God has called all of us to sacrifice in some regard or another. What I've seen in COVID, in post-COVID, is that it eroded out of good habits of getting together, of being around community. It eroded away at that. For, of course, health reasons. But now in light of doing what it takes to keep yourself protected, doing what it takes to keep yourself healthy, we still naturally defer to bad habits. It is a sacrifice to show up. I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand and say, Who didn't really want to be at church this morning, but you pulled yourself here? Don't hurt my feelings, all right? (laughs) Don't hurt my feelings. But we have to get comfortable being willing to be uncomfortable so that we can continue to grow forward. Because in those 400 years of silence, there were political shiftings. The Persians were the dominant force at the end of the Old Testament writings. By the time that we get into the New Testament, the Romans and the Greeks were dominant forces. Why was it so important for Romans and Greeks to be dominant? Well, with Romans, they were intentional of conquest. In order to conquest other areas, they had to build roads. So when Romans built roads, what was that then able to do for those spreading the gospel? They were able to travel on what? The roads. The Greek culture being the common accepted language, similar to how English is, if you go across the world, you know, uh, most countries, they teach their language, and then they have you learn 
the English language. The Greek language began to be the common language of that day. That was not the common language at the end of the Old Testament. So when the Greek language was now the dominant language uh, of the New Testament writings, that created a way for us to now have a precise picture of the crucifixion because of the robust nature of the Greek language. God had to get all of these natural factors in line to produce his plan. And sometimes life may look like we're taking a step back when God is really setting up all of the external forces to produce his will in your life. Every bad boss you have is not from the devil. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sometimes that bad boss is there to work on you. Because Peter said, if you're able to be calm when you're being corrected for doing wrong, what merit is that? You're supposed to stay calm when you're in the wrong. Because you in the wrong. <laughs> Said, but it's, it's greater when you are able to remain calm and you did nothing wrong. That displays your character. And anybody that gets you angry has too much control over your emotions. So let it work on you. So the 400 silent years of God's silence was not void of preparation for the prophecies to be fulfilled, because at the time that John the Baptist began declaring that, prepare the way of the Lord, there is one who is coming after me, the people were hungry and they were ready to receive the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus. Amen. I'll close with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the weighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our own sins, he, being Jesus, sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Can we all stand today?